the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Nah, man, you see how good I look? Nothing signifies that more than a pinch hitter winning a the game. They shouldn't have played the old Golden Blue. Not this night. Yes, sir. Not this night. I feel cold. I feel wet. But I feel like a winner. What is Tinkus Pingus? That's the problem. All right, right back. Let's go. Welcome to Panhandle Sports Live, the premier home for all things sport in the Eastern Panhandle. He's across midfield. He's into the open field. Touchdown, Martinsburg. On the first play from scrimmage for Washington, has put six points on the board from 88 yards out. Hear from the coaches and players that make the Eastern Panhandle the place for sports in the state of West Virginia. This kid, he's got silver bullets. And it's a two-possession lead for the Appleman. Gets a high snap. Robinson trying to get to the outside. Makes a trick move. Gets to the inside. Keyshawn Robinson. Touchdown, Cougars. Be a part of the conversation on today's show by texting at 304-263-4321. The throw not in time. Hedgesville's going to Charleston. He's down the sideline. Touchdown, Aiden Kane. Touchdown, Drive. Oh, my goodness. Three to shoot. Runner in the lane. It's in. Shepard wins. Shepard wins at the buzzer. The Spring Mills Cardinals, 18-0 to finish the regular season. Now, live from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in historic Martinsburg. Get your popcorn ready. Panhandle Sports Live is on the air. And it is Panhandle Sports Live for this Monday, the 26th day of February, 2024, in beautiful Martinsburg, West Virginia, with the sunshine shining outside our window, we welcome you inside the Hoppy Kirchville building here in the Eastern Panhandle. A lot to talk about today and a short time to do it. A busy sports week per usual in the world of high school basketball. We've reached the postseason both for high school girls and boys hoops. We'll talk about what our schedule is going to be. We have four Count them four college basketball games to talk about that happened on Saturday. And the Mountaineers play again tonight. What does that mean for them as they look to try to finish out the season strong? College baseball to talk about as well. I think we are underwhelmed, to say the least, about the way the Mountaineer baseball team has started the season. The Shepherd baseball team coming off of a very successful weekend. And Shepherd softball has started the season as well. I'm Luke Wiggs, Parker Stone, Daniel Woods alongside. Gentlemen, you guys uh, took the trip over the weekend to Bloomsburg. We'll talk about what uh, what became of those games here in a moment. How are we doing? Doing good. Doing well. He's leaving a lot to the imagination. Parker Stone fired up on a Monday. I'm phenomenal. That's good to hear. Went and saw a movie yesterday, Daniel Woods. Yeah. It was a good one. We went and saw the... See, can we call that a biopic? The Bob Marley yeah, movie, One I Love. So. Okay. okay. I mean, it focuses on it's a, a very specific... 18-month period of his life and then just kind of smatterings of mm-hmm. the rest of his life around it. It was very good. It was, it was a good film. And uh, we'll, we'll probably play some music from that movie a little bit later on in the show. As always, you can text us, 304-263-4321, as we wake up uh, to the text line saying, hashtag, make Smosh Paws great again. Yeah. So there we go. I, uh, at some point, I'm going to go back and clip that from the show, uh, and we will do something with it. I'll also tell you this. Need to print t-shirts. I'll tell you this. We uh, we have some other sound that we've been cooking up in the lab that at some point we're going to be introducing into the show. <laughs> we just have not decided when. Uh, it may or may not involve Metro News' Joe Bricado. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. we will, uh, we will um, at some point integrate that into the show. Gentlemen, um, the time is upon us uh, to no longer mince words and uh, make bold statements as men. 
Uh, and I think that's what we're going to do here in the first statement of the show, segment of the show. As I mentioned, more college basketball talk to come on. But um, while you guys were away over the weekend in Bloomsburg, and I honestly want to apologize to the Jefferson community. Uh, I was worn out. I wanted to go cover this game, and I didn't. And I'm mad that I didn't because Jefferson beat GW over the weekend. Jamari Jenkins laying the, the ball through the net with about five seconds left. Uh, had 20 of his 25 points in the second half. Jefferson was able to beat GW, become the second Eastern Panhandle team to accomplish that feat. And I say bold statements. Nobody in the entire state of West Virginia is going to be able to change my mind that now three of the top four teams in Quad A boys basketball are in the Eastern Panhandle. Jefferson's lost twice to Eastern Panhandle teams, and you look at the resumes from top to bottom. Spring Mills has a head-to-head victory against the two-time reigning state champions this year. They've also beaten Parkersburg South. Uh, they've also gone out and played a very tough out-of-state schedule as well. You've got a Jefferson team that's beaten Frederick. Now they've beaten GW. You've got a Martinsburg team that's also beaten GW and have played incredibly well in the month of February. There is no team that comes to mind that I would say um, is even comparable, with the exception of Morgantown High, who's the one of the remaining four teams in Quad A. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree, but I mean, you know, again, those are three of the top four teams in the state. And I think it's undeniable at this point. I think what we talked about for a lot of this season was, ah, oh, man, if if Jefferson was just healthy, this would, it it would just be. A, a really interesting thing to see. And it's just a shame that we're not going to see that. And then they got healthy and there was no adjustment period. Jefferson got healthy and was ready to go right away. And I think that's what stood out the most. I find it very difficult to say there is a fifth team outside of Morgantown and the top three teams in the EPAC that I could say are capable of winning a state championship against that group. Now, stranger things have happened. Just ask, because to win a state championship, you're going to have to beat two of those teams. Right. Yep. And and I was going to say, just ask Kelly Church, who won the state championship as a seven seed. Stranger things have happened. But to me, outside of Morgantown, there are no state title contenders that will not come from the Eastern Panhandle. And I, I think you've seen that played out. I think you know Bridgeport is a program uh, that's got a great coach in Dave Marshall that has a lot of young talent on it that had a great start to the season. But I think we started to see down the stretch a lot of their success is built around the fact that they play in a Big Ten conference where they're playing a lot of double and triple A opponents. Um, GW is a, a solid program with a great coach in Rick Green, but they've lost head-to-head to Jefferson and Martinsburg now. So these these teams have separated themselves. And I think it's really impressive to see this much talent and this much quality basketball concentrated in this area but I'm not surprised and I think you would be hard-pressed to convince me that there is a fifth team to go with that group of the top three in the EPAC and Morgantown that are capable of winning a state championship in quad a this year and I didn't even mention the fact that I'm uh later last week I mean we talked about it a little bit um that Spring Mills has another great end of season win because they went out and beat Wheeling Park and Lakayu Smith played incredibly well in that game I think he's key for them being successful I mean you look at what makes a team special when it comes to tournament time. All three of those teams play hard defensively. All three of those teams can score from all three levels. All three of those teams have multiple players that can go for 20 points on any given night. And then two of those teams have had prolonged success in Charleston. Nobody more than Dave Rogers, who, by the way, beat Randy Moss and Jason Williams in the 90s. Nobody more recently than Richard Lewis, with the exception of Morgantown High, because think about this, and we will talk about this when the state tournament comes around. We've reached the conclusion that Morgantown's probably a a pretty solid favorite to get back to the state championship game at least, and if they do, that means that Sharon Young 
will have played in a state championship game all four years at Morgantown That's High, a meaning crazy stat. he would play in the maximum possible amount of games at the state tournament that a high school player could play, unless they you know pull a Williamstown and a kid stays there for 15 years. But I say all that to say that they have uh, that Jefferson uh, removed from that is with the exception of Morgantown High. Um, has been to the state semifinals back-to-back years, which means that they have some experience shooting in that gym. The team that doesn't is Spring Mills, and Spring Mills, at this point, if you don't think they're the number one team in the state, you, you've got problems. So, you know, the one that doesn't have the, the most experience is the most talented team in the state, meaning that the Eastern Panhandle is only going to be able to send down two, and at some point this week, if we have time, we can get back into the reseeding the regionals conversation. Do it. Um, uh, but whichever two, if it's two of those three, then that's the thing. If it's not one of those three teams, that means that the team that got down there deserved it. If it's Musselman, Hedgesville, or Washington, you know, we're not sending down a team from a weak section to Charleston because it's down this year. Whoever gets through the Eastern Panhandle, and I want to get Parker Stone's thoughts on this as well, uh, they've earned it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 100%. This is... This has by far and away been the best conference in the entire state this year, and I don't think it's relatively close. You've seen the power index put out by Metro News week after week, and you've seen all six teams in the EPAC at least be in the top 20 every single week. And you're usually seeing at least three teams inside of the top 8 to 10. The power level in this conference is a wild amount right now. And the sad part about this is, one of those three teams that we just mentioned that could be real contenders, we think, for a state championship in Spring Mills, in Martinsburg, in Jefferson. One of those teams is not even probably going to be able to make the state tournament. So that's that's a rough stat to have. And someone's not going to be able to get there. Now it's going to make sectional play that much more intense because you don't want to be the person on the Berkeley side of the section to lose and what we all would think would have to go on the road and take on a Jefferson team that, to, to quote Michael Jordan, they're back. And this is the Jefferson team we've all known for the past few years. It's, it, sectional play is going to be really interesting. I think is the best way to put a bow on all this. Whoever wins these sectional games, it, they're going to be battle-tested going to Charleston. I think is the best way to summarize that all together. Whoever wins these games is going to be ready for whatever is thrown at them inside of the Charleston Coliseum. Is it going to be the new kids on the block in Spring Mills? Are are they ready for that moment? I think that's a big question because we look at what they did last year. They had a hot start last year, looked like one of the better teams in the state, and then kind of faltered down the stretch and ended up not getting themselves to the state tournament. Can they learn from the mistakes from last year? Can they piece together this season? They had a small blip against Frederick, but the win against Wheeling Park tells me, okay, this is not the same team that really faltered down the stretch last year. Martinsburg and their resurgence this year, can they finally complete things and Coach Dave Rogers and that Bulldog team get back to the state tournament? I know he's itching to get back down there. And for Jefferson to keep the legacy going. I mean, you've done something really special here in the Eastern Panhandle. Can you extend that streak with that core of guys you got in Jenkins and Gladney and Shively and the like? Are you able to extend that? And someone's not going to be able to add that next chapter to their season. Or will there be an upset? Can Hedgesville play keep away and win some games? Can Musselman, with their play style, be able to stop some teams up? Can DJ Boardley for Washington score 50 points and power the Patriots to a win? We've seen them upset Jefferson twice. There's... There's a lot of wrinkles and a lot of things that can't make you say, okay, this team is beating this team because there are so many different aspects for every different team going on. Again, this is why sectional play is going to be so much fun this year.
With that said, let's set our broadcast schedule for the week because, gentlemen, what are we looking at here? A game on Tuesday, two games on Wednesday, a game on Thursday, a game on Friday. Was that seven games in five days? Two games on Saturday. There you go. Packed stretch, baby. I love it. So uh, jump in if I make a mistake. But here's the tentative schedule that we have for this week here on the Panhandle News Network. By the way, we're throwing Berkeley Springs postseason basketball into the mix as well because they're in action on Tuesday. We'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow. Uh, We're also going to have an article coming out previewing boys' sectional play on the Panhandle News Network website a little bit later on today. But tomorrow, we're going to be broadcasting Musselman against Washington in a boys' sectional semifinal. That game will tip off at 7 o'clock. On Wednesday, college basketball, and we got ourselves a doubleheader because Shippensburg, for whatever reason, I'm not complaining, they play their games a half hour later. The women will play at 6, the men will play at 8 on the road. Uh, So that's on Wednesday. On Thursday, a girls' regional final that, pending approval, uh, will be Martinsburg um, as they take on Musselman with a spot in the state championship game on the line. And then on Friday, we're going to go back to a boys' sectional final. Early doors, this one is yet to be locked in stone, as it's probably going to be Spring Mills against the winner of that Martinsburg and Hedgesville regional. But again, we're going to wait for further confirmation and then a doubleheader for Shepard on Saturday as well. So... If you like live sports, this is certainly the week for you. And speaking of, we had some games uh, over the weekend that we want to talk about on the other side of this break. We're going to turn our attention to the world of college basketball. Later on in the show, talk a little college baseball as well. In spring training, the Orioles look really, really, really good to start the year. And there's a Mountaineer that has a chance to make a major league roster. We'll talk about that and more on Panhandle Sports Live. Mix up your sports coverage with Panhandle Sports Live. Heard on the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back in, Panhandle Sports Live. As always, you can text us, 304-263-4321. A reminder to always make Smosh Paws great again as we welcome you back and talk a little bit about college basketball. Now, four games we want to talk about for the Shepard men's and women's basketball teams, WVU as well, and the Mountaineers play Kansas State tonight. If we have some time, we'll preview that matchup a little bit later on. As I mentioned, we're going to talk a little college baseball and spring training as well later in the show. But what do you want to hear us talk about? You can let us know on the text line. Parker Stone, we'll start with you. Had the call of the Shepard University women's basketball team, and it comes down to this. You know, this team is not playing in the postseason anymore. I think we've reached the conclusion that that is the case. They've got two games left in the regular season. Like the fight against the Bloomsburg team, it's a game that Shepard could have won because they have very similar conference records. Uh, But when it's all said and done, they just weren't able to close that deficit in the fourth quarter. Good game by Sydney Bulls. Good scoring game from Kara Warner. Also goes for five assists. Uh, What were some of your thoughts from this loss? You know, this is going to be one that whenever the season gets turned around and we get ready for the 24-25 season for Rams women's basketball, this is going to be one that's going to be circled on the calendar. I'm very sure. Just because this is a game I think they should have won. And this is one that if you win, it keeps your playoff hopes alive for at least another game. But as you mentioned with the loss there, it more or less knocks them out of that conversation completely now. It's just a really slow start. Slow, slow start in the first quarter. They got they let up an 11-0 run to start, and just things just did not seem right. They clawed their way back into it at one point, had the game tied, and then in the fourth quarter, Peyton Grant nails a four-point play and gives the Rams their first lead. Shepard didn't lead till about midway through the fourth quarter in this game. And then at that point, it was just – it seems like they peaked at that moment, and then things just plateaued, and then Bloomsburg just dominated for the rest of the – about five minutes remaining in regulation. So I guess the biggest takeaways I have, this team needs to start better. This team needs to finish is the biggest things. The middle part I thought was good. 
They made the adjustments. Katie Starr is one of the best post players in the conference for Bloomsburg. And Daniel made a good point. You can't let her get the ball into the paint and let her go. She has a great up and under move. you got to face guard her to make sure she doesn't catch the basketball inside of the paint because she's a problem in that category. They made the adjustments, got Starr in foul trouble, and got her out of the game. There were a lot of good things that this team did. It's just, again, the start needs to be better, and they need to finish down the stretch because, again, it it just seemed like they peaked after the Peyton Grant four-point play, and then just things went downhill from there. Next opportunity to catch Shepard Women's Basketball Live comes up this Wednesday in a rivalry matchup against Shippensburg at 6 o'clock. The Shepard men's basketball team picked up a win. We'll talk about what that means for the remainder of their season in a moment because they will have a chance to play in the postseason. Uh, but first, let's hear from uh, Ram head coach Justin Amelik, who was able to catch up with Parker Stone uh, after their victory against Bloomsburg. Coach, the old adage is always winning on the road's tough. I'm sure a win of this nature on the road has got to be one you got to be happy taking home. Yeah, I mean, it's never easy. Uh, you know, but I think just like our defense really spurred our offense. You know, throughout the season, we've done such a better job of getting stops and getting out in transition. So that was a big thing. And then I just think, too, like in the last month and a half, um, just us moving the ball. You know, today there were some great possessions where we made the extra pass and that movement and got some wide open looks, even if we missed them. You know, just getting those wide open looks makes things a lot easier. So uh, I thought it was pretty well-rounded offensively and defensively, even the second half, you know, not having any let-ups. Uh, you know, and it's never easy on senior day, you know. So I think for us to jump on them, you know, in the second half or in the first half and then to kind of hold that lead there in the second half just to make sure, you know, it didn't get too crazy there at the end. More on the defense, Coach. What's really the secret behind what is this conference's best overall scoring defense, the ability for you all to really hold teams below their averages? What's the key to that? Yeah, I mean, we've done a couple of things this year that have turned out to be great. I mean, we switch all ball screens. You know, it, it depends, you know, I mean, when we do it, uh, when we switch. You know, today was the day we're going to switch all of them so that way Louis Wild can't come off and get too comfortable. Like, if you're in drop coverage, Louis Wild's going to come off and just hit pull-up after pull-up. That's what we did the first time. That's been key. You know, sometimes we'll switch after the fact. You know, they call it a beer switch. They'll come off and then we'll switch. But today was all straight uh, switching. And a big thing for us, too, has been front uh, trapping the post. Uh, you know, this year, you know, it's, it's been worked really well for us. Never done it before. Teams, like, you can execute it effectively. You know, teams kind of stop looking to go inside. So that's been big. Um, but we can't do it versus everybody. You know, like, if the team has a bunch of good shooters, it makes it tough. So, um, but today, like, you know, being able to execute those things, I thought, you know, when we did switch, Carson did it. We told him to get up on Louis Wilde, like make him dribble. Don't think he wants to go away to the cup. And Carson did a good job of that. And just when you go against switching, it makes it tough. You know, for me personally, I've had to go against switching in this league for a while. A lot of teams in the West do it. You know, the last couple of years, it's been trying to figure out what to do against it. You know, come a long way with that. But also us like, executing it defensively has worked out really well for us as, uh, as well. You mentioned Carson. Big day from him. 20 points. Daniel McLean Corley does the same, getting into 20 figures. Philip Jordan with big contributions. These upperclassmen that you're really depending on right now, it seems like they're really hitting their stride. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think we're playing really good basketball. You know, you look over the last, you know, and like, the Millersville game was a tough one to lose. You know, Westchester was a tough one to lose in overtime. But I feel like we're playing well. You know, I mean, Lock Haven was just one of those nights where we just, you know, it's one of those nights where it just wasn't anything was going to go well for us. You know, and you're going to have those nights. But I think having the bye on Wednesday was key. You know, we had the day off on Wednesday to tell the guys have a little bit more juice. It's nice to have that bye a little bit later now, you know, going into the end of the season, you know. So next week, like to finish it off, you know, have some momentum going in the playoffs. Because I just keep on chomping at the bit. I see Westchester right above us. And, you know, like, last year, the two tough games we lost to them. This year, the overtime game, like, like we, we I want to beat them. You know, so it's important for us to finish out the season to keep that seed so we can face them in the playoffs.
the thoughts of Justin Namlick in that victory against Bloomsburg and saying, hey, I want to beat them, referring to Westchester, who they're projected to play uh, in the first round of the PSAC Conference Tournament. 80-58, to 58, the final score, Shepard beats Bloomsburg. Two different players go for 20 points. Carson Poffenberger, Daniel McLean, Corley. Daniel Woods had the call of that game. I know he's got some thoughts specifically of this game, but you know, broad strokes as well in the season. I mean, Shepard had lost two games in a row before the Bloomsburg game, but I mean, I'm going to knock a sugarcoat it for you. Shippersburg and Kutztown are the two of the worst teams in the conference. So, and Bloomsburg is too. So finishing the season against the three worst teams in your division gives you a tremendous amount of confidence to then lock horns with a Westchester team that they desperately want to beat. Absolutely. And to build that momentum's big, to continue to if develop. If you can do it. You know, yeah, exactly. If you drop a game, it's the, the inverse is true. To, to continue to develop uh, what this team has grown into is big. I think one of the, the things that I took away from that game is how many times this season have we seen Shepard come out, make a run, start to stretch a lead out to 8, 10, 12 points, and then the other team makes a run, gets back into it, and Shepard never regains that momentum. That's not what happened in this game. Shepard jumped out pretty early. It was back and forth for the first couple of minutes, and then Shepard jumped out to, I want to say it was a 17-7 to lead. They got it up to 10 pretty early, and then... Bloomsburg comes out of a timeout and scores the next eight points. It was 17-15 to 15, about midway through the first half. There have been several times we've seen that happen to the Shepherd team as the season has gone on, and one of two things have happened. Either it's been a dogfight trading baskets the rest of the game, or the momentum stays on the other side and they end up losing by double digits. What happened in this game was Shepard was ready to counterpunch and then scored 22 of the last 24 points in the first half and went into the halftime on a 22-2 run. So it's a Bloomsburg team that is not great, and it's a Bloomsburg team that has been riddled with injuries over the last month and a half. Uh, but you went out in an opponent's gym on senior day and left no doubt about the fact that you were the better team on the floor. And I think that's what stood out to me. Uh, a ton of credit to Carson Poffenberger and the way he's progressed this season. That was his 10th straight game scoring in double figures. Uh, so for this Shepherd team to continue uh, to have the success that they want to build on after Saturday, you're going to need more of that from him. You're going to need more of what you got from Daniel McLean Corley, and you're going to need more of what you got from Philip Jordan because those are the three guys you're going to lean on. Uh, and then the continued development of Gerard Robinson, Marcus Banks able to sprinkle some things in there when he's on when it comes to scoring the basketball. This team is is really starting to find itself and. Again, like you said, you get two games against the bottom feeders of the East Division, and then more likely than not, another crack at Westchester. And speaking of, that Westchester game is who they're projected to play in the first round of the conference tournament. That's a week from today. Two games between now and then, and uh, then we would broadcast that game here on WBPM and WCST. Running out of time in this segment, but I want to talk about both the Mountaineer men's and women's basketball teams. The women had an opportunity slip through their fingers. Unfortunately, they fall at home to number 24-ranked Baylor, 66-65. If you missed this game, WVU up a point. Uh, the ball was inbounded uh, to J.J. Quinterly, lost it into the backcourt, unfortunately had to commit a foul, fouled out of the game. So she was not on the floor after Baylor hit two free throws to take the lead. Uh, and then it was Jordan Harrison that went down the floor and tried to put up a shot late, and WVU is now lost to back-to-back ranked opponents. want to get Daniel Woods' thought on that in a moment, but you know, I think a lot of people were impressed with the earnestness of J.J. Quinterly uh, when she got behind the podium. And by the way, this is a career high for her, 33 points. She's the reason they're in the game to begin with. And, and talking about that mistake at the end of the game, this is J.J. Quinterly in post. I think that's just me, honestly. Like, 
I'm a person, no matter how good I do, no matter how much points y'all see me put on the board. I mean, I'm always thinking about the mistakes I made, defensive lapses that I was I made throughout that game. So, yeah. And thanks to Metroduces Joe Bercato for providing us that sound. I mean, that's earnest. You, you, you wonder in this new era, blah, 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 old man yells at Cloud of NIL and Transfer Portal, whatever, if it means anything to these players. And if you question for a second how much it means to this Mountaineer women's basketball team, uh, after hearing those comments, I got nothing for you. If you want to throw mud on J.J. Quinterly and, and blame this loss on her for one thing that happened with eight seconds left in the game, seek help. Yeah. Please, please. Find something else to do with your life because this ain't it. I I'm sorry. You've got a player that goes out there and scores 33 points and does it efficiently as the best game of her career and one bad inbounds pass that gets mishandled and leads to a couple of free throws for the other team that gives them the lead in a one-point game is, is what a bunch of people are going to point to. Shut up. Just shut up. You've got an all-conference player... I'm going to get on a soapbox here for a quick second. Everybody wants to yell about the transfer portal and nobody's got any loyalty to their schools there anymore and whatever, whatever, whatever. J.J. Quinterly has been an all-conference player since she was a freshman at WVU, has been through two coaching changes, and guess what? She's still in Morgantown, okay? You want to yell and scream about everybody. Nobody wants to stay at WVU. Everybody's leaving. Everybody's buying our players. J.J. Quinterly has now spent three years at WVU with three different coaches and is still here and is still putting everything on the line for West Virginia University women's basketball. And you can hear it in her voice there. So if you want to throw mud on this player that is everything that should be great about college sports, get some help. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I'm not a gatekeeper. Quit watching my sports. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, and two more games left in the regular season for the Mountaineer women's basketball team against unranked opponents, unfortunately losing to Baylor. Now 22-6 and six on the season. Still 24-6 and six if they're able to get a couple of wins before the end of the season. is a strong way to go at a conference tournament play. Parker Stone, the Mountaineer men's team, now nine games below 500. They lose uh, and took number six Iowa State down to the wire. Um, they lose 71-64 to 64 in Ames. A couple things. Uh, I know a lot of people are defending Josh Eilert coming back as head coach. Um and we could talk about that more. We're really, really up against the break here. Uh, Josh Eilert did not coach down the stretch of this game. And if you watch this game and watch it slip through their fingers, a lot of the blame is on him. It just is what it is. I don't know what it is. WVU will go and get blown out in Stillwater. They'll get blown out in, in Waco. Ames is the toughest place, not named uh, Fog Allen in the Big 12 that's hard to play at. And yet, WVU goes there and competes every year. I don't get what it is, Parker Stone. Every but they, they, they did come up short against uh, Iowa State. And, I mean, again, that's just that's just kind of it for the season, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, more or less. Uh, the biggest things, turnovers were a big problem in this game for the Mountaineers. And, and you mentioned it. For some odd reason, they compete on the road against Iowa State every single time. And, yeah... I mean, I get your people's take that, okay, maybe we need to give Josh Rylard one more chance. It was kind of a wreck of a year with everything going on, with the prompt coaching change coming out of left field, with the will-they-won't-they they with transfer portal players and the like. But you don't want to get this train completely off the tracks. And I made this comparison recently. It's like if you put a high school swimmer against a 
swimmers in the Olympics is the way I compare Josh Eilert to coaching in the Big 12 right now. I'm not saying that Josh Eilert can't be a good coach. I think he can. I just think he's in a little too over his head with this right now, just with how com- how competitive the Big 12 conference is in basketball. I don't think he's just right in that spot right now. Now, down the line, I could see it maybe, but I don't think right now he's that guy specifically because you got to have someone who could be with these big dogs in the Big 12, the Houstons, the Iowa States, the Baylors, those type of teams. I just don't think Eilert's in that spot and have that coaching experience to make those decisions, to decide where he wants to change on defense, if he wants to flip from a zone to a man, if he wants to change his offensive scheme to move some things around. I just don't think he's had that experience to know when to do that exactly. And you can point the finger at me and say, hey, look, somebody was chastised that in the NBA, and his name was Joe Mazzula, and now he's one of the best coaches in the NBA. But I think this is an apple to warn. Well, his first season, he made it to the NBA Finals. You know, yeah. Josh Eilert's going to finish eight games below 500, more than exactly. That. But yeah, I get what you're saying. I'm sorry, going to cut you off, but we got to get to this break. We'll be back after this. Talk a little baseball on the other side. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Stay tuned. Want to revisit an episode of Panhandle Sports Live? Follow the Panhandle News Network on Spotify today. Turning our attention to the Diamond now, talking a little baseball in this segment, both WVU and Shepard, and a little spring training as well. Uh, as it's nice to know, despite the fact that it is February, there are baseball games being played both at the collegiate and professional level. For Shepard, after a little bit of a slow start, uh, they lost, uh, what is it, five of their first seven games. They swept over the weekend University of South Carolina, Buford, uh, in a three-game series as they won on Friday 7-5, to five, on Saturday 8-6, to six, and on Sunday, five to three. Uh, I I think there's going to be a lot of similarities this season, guys, between WVU and Shepard, because pitching is going to be the key for both teams. Shepard, through ten games, has allowed sixty-five runs, so that's six and a half runs a game. And uh, a couple of times this season, they've been able to score over that average offensively. They're winning games seven to two, ten to six, seven to five, eight to six. Uh, but at some point, they're going to have to get that number below six if they want to have an above 500 record this season. Uh, the Rams return a couple of key pieces from the offensive season ago that saw one of the top hitters in recent years in the program and Ross Mulhall graduate. But Borges is back. Idris Carter is back. Carter's gotten off to a good start to, uh, for the, s- the start of the season as well. This team has some power. Wyatt Miles has hit three home runs for the first couple of games of the season. But again, you know, sh- starting pitching. Uh, Trevor Sharp's your ace, a 4.63 ERA. Um, isn't the greatest, but it's not necessarily burning her either. But outside of that, they're throwing a lot of different arms. And I think that's the difference when we turn our attention to the Mountaineers here in a second between these two teams. And they've had, you know, Eli Lamb and a couple of other guys emerge as decent pieces in the back of uh, the rotation. But, you know, Daniel, again, if you have starting pitchers consistently, and this team is not asking for sub-three ERAs. This team is asking for starting pitchers to throw five or six innings and keep the run total to five or less to give themselves a chance. Um, that's what needs to happen while this team, you know, got, starts to ramp up before conference play. That's what you have to ask for. And in college baseball, you, like you said, you don't have to have a bunch of guys going out there and throwing sub three. You need guys that are going to allow the hitters in your lineup to have opportunities to have at bats in close games. And that's all you can really ask for uh, unless you've got a, a true number one going to go out there and just shut everybody down guy. And, to, to again draw a parallel between WVU and Shepard, Randy Mazie said before the season, you know, we're, we probably don't have an Alec Manoa type 10 game winner on this team. 
but I think we might have a whole bunch of two or three game winners and that's going to stack on top of itself or, or a bunch of five game winners. And I think that's what you have to look for with the Shepherd team too, just based on the guys that they have coming back in the program, the guys that they're trying to develop. Uh, so if you can get, you know, four or five, five game winners, as opposed to one 10 game winner, that ratio works out a little bit better at that case. Yeah, for sure. It, it does go against a, a really famous Randy Mazie quote from a couple of years ago that said, if you've got one 10 winner, you're a really good team. If are you're a good team, if you've got two 10 game winners, you're a great team. And the team that won had Alec Manoa and Nick Snyder that won 10 games. And it is a little bit concerning that this year might not have that. Uh, but Parker Stone, WVU, I'd have to say that it's underwhelming. Two four-game series to start the season, um, and you split them both. Um, started really strong against Charlotte over the weekend, took the first two games, uh, and then lost the last two, including yesterday's on Sunday, where, again, and I understand people defending Randy Mazie early uh, for allowing pitchers to kind of work through some trouble, but this has been something that has been a problem throughout his coaching tenure, is leaving in a pitcher for too long. Hamilton Oliver in relief of Carson Estridge, goes out to start his third inning of relief in this game against Charlotte, blows the lead, and they lose because of it. Randy Mazie has got, like he claims, a wealth of arms. He has eight pitchers that through eight games have thrown over four innings. That number needs to be higher. In my opinion, Randy Mazie needs to get better at utilizing his arms because if you've got a lot of guys that you know you don't necessarily have that top-end talent, you've got this huge quagmire of above-average arms You've got to trust that huge stable of arms and not send a reliever out for his third inning of work because that is what's going to hold this team back more than anything, in my opinion. Yeah, that's that's usually what happens. If you have a reliever go too long and then they'll get just ran up in an inning and then you have to pull them when it's too late. It's just knowing when you got to pull is the biggest thing. And it, it's it's got to be a better execution of that, I think, down the line for this WVU baseball team. Hey, it's one we've had some expectations for. They were put in around midway of the pack in the Big 12 preseason poll. We thought that was a little bit disrespectful. Well, the pitching's going to have to pick it up for us to make that claim that, yeah, that ranking was a little bit disrespectful because if it's not, then is going to have to depend on J.J. Weatherholt, Kyle West, and the gang to hit 10 runs in a game for them to win contests, and that's not sustainable during a whole baseball season. So the pitching's got to pick it up and whether that's lesser innings for guys to get more rotation in for everybody or depending on how you want to rest your pitching I think that's got to really be figured out and again this this is it's the dog days right now for college baseball just getting your feeling getting your feet wet if you will trying to figure out what works what doesn't but I think again the ability of pulling your pitchers when it's time before it's too late is going to be crucial down the stretch I think for this Mountaineer baseball team and by the way speaking of Kyle West he's made six starts this season started six of a possible eight games uh he's four for 20 so he's only hitting 200 however he has walked four times as well five strikeouts isn't great um but there are other guys in this lineup that also need to worry about that namely Reed Chumley and Grant Hussey, who have both struck out double-digit times through eight games in the season. So Can't be having that. They cannot be having that. And I'll tell you this, um, you know, Aiden Major's missing bats. You like that from your number one. Uh, and I liked a lot of what I saw from Switalski on uh, Saturday. I like his changeup a lot. Uh, with that said, I also want to talk a little Major League Baseball, guys. I want to go around the room, some of our early spring training takeaways. Not going to make any crazy predictions or bold takes or anything like that, but Parker Stone, let's start with you uh, because a team of note and a team whose games you're going to be able to hear all the way through the season here on WEPM and WCST, two games into spring training look about as good as anybody, don't they? 
Yes, they do. And it, it's expected from a team that's going to be, I think, a real contender for a World Series this year. Uh, Corbin Burns struck out his this first batter. the Orioles batter. we're talking about, by the way. The yes. Orioles. Yes, those Baltimore Orioles. Cor- Corbin Burns struck out his first batter he ever faced in Orioles colors in spring training. So hopefully that's a sign of things to come. Cole Irvin looked really good as well. It seems like his velocity has gone up from last season to this season. So exciting to see what he throws as he's going to be an important piece down the stretch for the Orioles in the pitching rotation. And I, I don't know if you guys knew this. Enrique Bradfield Jr. is very fast. And there's a clip going around online of him stealing from first to second. And, man, he's going to be such a fun piece whenever he eventually gets called up for the Orioles to be another one of these outfielders. And I mean, we could we could have a list as long as a CVS receipt of how many outfielders the Orioles have that are quality at this point. I mean, you look at Mullins, you look at Bradfield Jr., you look at Heston Kierstad, who can play in the outfield for you a little bit as well. It's going to be an exciting year for Orioles baseball, especially when you got a number one overall pick, Jackson Holiday. We think is going to be making the opening day roster for the Orioles. He's he's going to play either shortstop or second base, thinking more towards shortstop. But it's it's gonna it's a fun young team. They have their ace in Corbin Burns, and the expectations I think have have been haven't been higher since I would say probably the. 80s Baltimore Orioles if I'm gonna be completely honest with you I know the O's were doing all right in the early part of the 2010s when they had Adam Jones and the like but I think since we're talking like Eddie Murray era Baltimore Orioles I don't think the expectations have been to this level since then uh Daniel Woods now on to you I know another team James Wood looked really good in his first early at-bats for the Nationals as uh, he wants to stake his claim as to be a big part of that rebuild what else has stood out for you through spring training uh, the Nationals are going to be interesting this year uh, with guys like James Wood and Dylan Cruz probably being around a year away. Cruz probably ahead of Wood on that developmental track. But the thing that I want to see is just how does and and you and I have talked about this quite a bit. And I think you're going to have a little bit more of a, a granular look at, at one of the teams in this division. But I just want to see what the heck's going to happen in the National League Central. Yeah. And these first handful of spring training games have been interesting, particularly from the perspective of one of the teams that people are thinking might take a step forward this year in the Cincinnati Reds, uh, particularly with what Hunter Green came out and did over the weekend where uh, he was, it appears uh, obviously on a pitch count. It's the first week of spring training uh, through an inning in two thirds, struck out four. Uh, but the biggest thing with that is a, a guy that was seen potentially as one of the better high school pitching prospects ever uh, came out and, was throwing four pitches, which he's just never done before. Uh, It seems in Major League Baseball, he was a fastball slider guy. Now he's throwing a curveball and a splitter, and it seemed had a lot of success with that. Uh, The the cardinal way is is the cardinal way, and you know say what you want about that, but it's it's what they do, and it's proven. Uh, The Pirates, uh, we've talked about this. It feels like are probably a year away from being a year away, but. Uh, you get O'Neill Cruz healthy. Henry Davis looked really good in his one start behind the plate so far and had a couple of hits in that game as well. I- I'm interested to see what this Brewers team turns into because they won their first spring training game 11-7 uh, to and they put up some runs and Reese Hoskins is there and Sal Freelich played third base. It was and- a good word to describe the Brewers and you know it so much. Smosh Paws. There you go. Smosh Paws is the Milwaukee Bringing Brewers. it back. Uh, but, the, you know, you look at what the Brewers did and you can – Talk about Sal Freelich moving to the infield, but he goes two for two. Jackson Chorio had two hits in this game and drove in a run. Uh, so it's it's uh, pretty chaotic in the National League Central, and you don't look for these teams to prove themselves in spring training. But 
you can get an idea at least early on of how guys are looking at least in terms of feel to start things off. And the Brewers had a really good start. The Reds have had a really good start. The Cardinals have started well. The Pirates have flashed some things. And the Cubs, while, you know, there's not a lot to write home out write home about with how they've played so far, just signed Cody Bellinger to a three year contract and he's coming back. So the the National League Central is one hundred percent up in the air and We'll have to see. It's not going to be decided in spring training, but like I said, spring training can give you a little bit of a peek into potentially at least the feel that some of these guys have coming into the season. I think that we got some really interesting takeaways. Uh, Carlos Rodon looked pretty good throwing for the Yankees for the first time. Um, You saw that quote uh, from Aaron Judge where he talked about the surgery that he had to his toe and said that it's going to require maintenance for the rest of his career. And I know that Yankee fans are probably not thrilled about hearing that. You mentioned the National League Central, always a West Virginia connection. Uh, One Victor Scott has just skyrocketed up prospect rankings as a top 100 prospect in baseball and one of the top organizational prospects for my beloved soon-to-be world champion, St. Louis Cardinals. He's looked really good for the first couple of games of spring training. I think he and Mason Wynn have both been tremendous standouts, and those are the only two Cardinals through two games that have stolen a base. Uh, Scott got on. Reeks some havoc, scored on a fielder's choice to the third baseman, showed his speed off going to the plate, and forced another run to score with an errant throw. Like I mentioned, he stole on a base as well. And you look at the Cardinals. I mean, you know, their opening day center fielder is either going to be Tommy Edmond, who's not at 100%, or Dylan Carlson, who's a fine center fielder. But if Edmond is hurt to start the year and Carlson's in center, they need a fourth outfielder. And frankly, this team's bench right now is uninspiring. Because Ivan Herrera, I think, is going to be a very good catcher long term, but he's not where he wants to be offensively. And then behind that, their bench is Matt Carpenter and Jose Fermin. Uh, Jose Fermin, can't tell you much about him other than they need another shortstop on the roster if Mason Wynn doesn't work out. And Matt Carpenter is 38. He is 38 years old, which is insane. So Victor Scott's got a really good chance to crack uh, this opening day uh, roster for the St. Louis Cardinals. He does a lot of things well. He would immediately be the best defensive center fielder uh, in their uh, major league roster because he's the best defensive center fielder in their organization. He's also the best base dealer in their organization. Um, Just has some issues with consistent contact. I will say the biggest thing on him through the first couple of games of the season, uh, two spring training games, he struck out twice uh, and is one of four, although he's earned three walks, which is incredible. Don't tell Billy Bean that. We've got a break to take. When we return, we'll get Parker's picks. Check some national headlines and wrap up the show for a Monday. So stay tuned. It's Payne Handle Sports Live. Because a man is always capable. Make sure he understands the moment. Because a man always understands the moment. And you know what else a man does? What? He says, give me my theme music. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live. Welcome back. Final segment of Panhandle Sports Live. Always opportunities for your texts at 304-263-4321. And always the last segment of the show reserved for Mr. Smosh Podge himself. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 luck. Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Prove it never fails. Never failed once. Well, we struck out on Friday. Apologize if you copied. We had Scotty Barnes. He was one point off of hitting the over for the lock. We had the Cavs falling to the 76ers. And then we had a really weird defensive game in the Warriors-Hornets game. Neither one of those teams broke 100 points. 
and Jonathan Kuminga did not have his greatest game. So we're going to rebound. We're going to be all right. We're going to turn to Monday and get us back into a little bit of profit, get us into the green, if you will. And I'm going to go for today's lock. It's going to be 20-plus points coming from one De'Aaron Fox against the Miami Heat. I saw that Jimmy Butler has got a one-game suspension for what happened in the New Orleans game going on. So I think it lets the offense go a little bit better for De'Aaron Fox as well. I got him going 20-plus for the Kings at home tonight against the Miami Heat. I'm also going to take Nick Claxton over 10.5 rebounds against the Memphis Grizzlies. Claxton, solid rebounder. He's going against a team in Memphis that isn't the best on the boards, I would say. I'm going to take Claxton and grab 11 or more rebounds tonight. And I'm going to go same rebounds, but I'm going to go Cade Cunningham, 3.5. I'm going to take the over on that one. Cade, bigger size for a guard. He's playing against the Knicks in the Garden. He's able to pull down four rebounds, I think. I think that's a safe margin to go for and a nice, easy one to take to really round out the slate. So Fox, 20-plus is today's lock for points. Claxton over 10.5 rebounds. Cade Cunningham over 3.5 rebounds for today. A couple other headlines for the soccer fans. The MLS got off to a great start um, over the weekend. I know Messi scored that late equalizer and Inter Miami thinks they're one of the top teams to beat. Man City won the uh, League Cup against Chelsea. That was about the most frustrating game I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, and Caitlin Clark, her 16th triple-double of the season. Daniel Wood, she is on the heels of still setting some pretty significant collegiate records. She's going to do it pretty soon. Yeah, Pistol Pete's not far off. Got Lynette Woodward when it comes to the women's all-time number still to go. Uh, really impressive. It's just game-changing for women's basketball, honestly. And, hey, folks, she might come back next year. She might. She, she might come back next year. Very well might. Uh, and, again, we've got uh, a pretty crazy broadcast schedule this week. We're going to put out something about that on our socials a little bit later on today. And we've got an article standing by uh, previewing the boys' sectional match matchups. Uh, so you're not going to want to miss that again. we got seven games in five days coming up this week just on this station. We've also got some Berkeley Springs basketball over on Cool 92.9. Kaiser on Tuesday, right? Parker Stone going to yes, be a heck sir. of a game. That's going to be a heck of a game. The Tribe have won three straight. They beat Valley Wetzel Friday night, so they're on a hot streak. Going to try and take down Kaiser. It's a rematch from last year's sectional. Well, that's going to do it for us. Stay tuned through the top of the hour. The award-winning Panhandle Live is coming up in just a couple of moments. For Parker Stone and Daniel Woods, I've been Luke Wiggs. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Which old one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.